sorry I could not fight it any longer. We're going to do it today on this podcast. We are unlocking the Disney animated musical Treasure Trove, and we're kicking things off with Hercules. Probably not the choice that you thought was going to be the first one um, out of this box, so to speak, but it is my personal favorite Disney animated musical. I'm not going to lie. It's it's right up there. Number two, just to tease it, is a goofy movie. Completely underrated film. But the reason why I wanted to do Hercules is I think it has some great themes, obviously about family, and I think a very timely message of, of what it truly means to be a hero. And I think this world right now has extraordinary heroes, but we need more. We need more. So... That's why I wanted to kick things off with Hercules. I've got a great co-host with me this week, Mr. Drew Boudreaux, who has had an incredible career. He has an incredible business for coaching uh, students that are looking to go into college theater programs, and he has some very close ties to the Walt Disney Company. And I have to be honest with you, I had 10 times more fun recording this podcast with Drew than I ever thought was imaginable. So... Needless to say, this will be the hopefully the first of many episodes that you will hear Drew on as well. But Hercules, one of my personal favorites, has an incredible cast from top to bottom. I mean, Tate Donovan, Susan Egren, Danny DeVito, James Woods. I mean, just the list goes on and on with this film. Interestingly enough, didn't really do well in the box office. I mean, it had an $85 million budget, ended up grossing just over $250 million, which for Disney is a, not a flop, but I mean, it's an underperforming movie. I mean, these movies usually do gangbusters and this one didn't, but I think in the past 22 years, the fandom has grown. The appreciation has grown. I talk to a lot of people about Hercules and I I always get the same answer of how much they love this film. I think a lot of it has to do with not only the themes, but the music, very, very signature specific music. We don't get out other than uh, the princess and the frog. We haven't really seen a lot of, you know, gospel, non-traditional show tune, poppy type of music. And in here, we get a, a very gospel-centric score, and it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And one of my favorite soundtracks to listen to. And interestingly enough, I mean, this movie came out when I was about sophomore in high school going into my junior year. Could not get any of my friends to go see it with me, so I went to go see it by myself during like a Saturday day show, which again, looks probably pretty weird. I mean, here's this 16 year old kid sitting in the theater with a bunch of, you know, little kids, but, uh, loved it. Absolutely loved it. And bought it the second it came out on video was in my, you know, pristine collection of most valuable tapes that I brought off to college with me. And sure enough, I found a lot of friends that, that also enjoyed this film in college. And of course, since then as well. So, Definitely one of my favorites. When we come back, we're going to take a quick break, but we're going to break everything down. We're going to talk about the songs that we love, the characters that we love, some things that, you know, left unanswered, so to speak. One mystery that I have uh, that has never been answered, so to speak. And of course, we're going to give out some awards as well. But first, as always, here's the trailer. What you folks need is a hero. Yeah. And who are you? I happen to be a hero. Coming summer 1997. Get your sword! The hero is only as good as his weapon. Walt Disney Pictures presents... Hercules. That's my 
Hercules. The myth. I'm an action figure. The movie. Two thumbs way, way up. Zero the hero in no time back. Zero the hero just like that. Is this kid gonna mess up my hostile takeover? Bitter whoops. From the creators of Aladdin and the Little Mermaid. I'm telling you, wacko. Comes a cast of wildly imaginative new characters. The spirited and independent Meg. Aren't you a damsel in distress? I can handle this. Have a nice day. Philatides. Call me Phil. Herc's personal trainer. Don't let your guard down because of a pair of big blue eyes. Hades, Lord of the Underworld. Hey, mention my name. We got a doom with a view. And his henchmen, Pain and Panic. We, we are worms! Next summer. Get ready to rumble! It's Disney's 35th all-new animated feature. The legendary story of Hercules. We dance, we kiss, we schmooze, we carry on, we go home happy. What do you say? And I am now joined by my fantastic new guest co-host, Mr. Drew Boudreaux. How are you, sir? Oh, doing so good and so excited to talk about this movie. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm really excited. Now I have to be honest with you, I am so jealous of you right now because I am sitting here in Chicago, Illinois, where it's <laughs> negative fourteen, uh, and it and my phone says it feels like negative forty. I have no idea, <laughs> couldn't tell the difference. And and could you just tell the audience where you're sitting right now? Well, I'm a little cold too, because I'm in Orange County, California, and it's down to sixty one. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't know. <laughs> the panic in the streets, right? <laughs> uh, oh. I cannot I cannot process that like when you get down really to like below 10 it reaches a kind of cold where anything after that you you just can't process like if if someone says here's you know $1500 you go that's a lot of money if someone says here's a billion dollars I don't know what that means I don't know what a billion dollars <laughs> means if you tell me it's 31 degrees I go that's cold if you tell me it's negative 40 I go I don't know what that means can't fathom that yeah right but uh it's 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 a different level of cold it's a frightening level of cold and yet there are people walking around this town like yeah okay no. it's Wednesday oh, <laughs> like, no no like, they canceled Hamilton right yes twice twice oh. They canceled the matinee and the evening performance, and someone put out a really good meme saying that it looks like Burr killed Hamilton again. <laughs> BRR, which I thought was hilarious. I was like, "Oh, standing I'm, O for that person." I'm just <laughs> mad that someone beat me to that punch because that's really good. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, again, I I wanted you on this podcast because first of all, you know your stuff. Um, you also, am I right? You have a history with with the Walt Disney Company as well. I do. I. Uh, was a stage manager on the Aladdin show at Disney California Adventure, which is the sister um, theme park to uh, well, uh, to Disneyland uh, mm-hmm. here in California. We ran for like 10 years. I was a stage manager for about a year. And then I hopped on uh, Disney Cruise Line, and I was a stage manager for them for a little while too. Um, and then I kind of realized that I didn't want to be in stage management whatsoever and went back to performing and very quickly after that, they picked my improv troupe up, and I was uh, an improv comedy performer for the company for about three or four years. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Well, for, I only knew about the cruise line, so that's <laughs> amazing. What an amazing experience. So I'm, I'm so glad that you had this relationship um, with this company because, again, this is why you're the perfect person to be doing this, <laughs> this podcast with me. So 
Hercules, man. Tell me about your initial thoughts. Like, when did you first see this film? Um, tell me everything. All right. Um, I have seen bits and pieces, clips and cuts. My, I mean, my entire adult life, because this came out, I think, in 97. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so I was in, like, junior high. Um, and I didn't see a lot of movies in high school. So I'll be honest, the first time I saw this from beginning to end in its entirety was today. Get out of here. Like, I, I've <laughs> seen virtually all the musical numbers uh, and scenes, but I, I hadn't ever sat down to watch the whole thing until today. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So what'd you think? Oh, it, it was, it was, it was better than I anticipated. And that was going in with really high expectations. Wow. Um, my history with this, with this show. So Hercules, the live stage show used to be on Disney cruise line. Hmm. Um, it was the show that Jennifer Hudson was in before she did American Idol. Wow. Um, and she was obviously uh, one of the muses. And um, this show is so dearly missed on the cruise line by frequent cruise guests. Like, Disney fans are a different kind of fan. Like, they lose their mind. They're rabid people. <laughs> and um, I would find um, handwritten notes taped onto the theater's door from time to time that said, bring back Hercules. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, People would leave notes under chairs. Where's Hercules? Like they were so pissed that whatever they were watching wasn't the Hercules show. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and of all movies, you know, to kind of have that fandom and following for, um, You, you you might think Beauty and the Beast, you might think Aladdin, you might think yeah. Little Mermaid, but Hercules, that's that's a surprising thing. That makes me really want to see that stage show. I, I can't even imagine what that must I have know. looked like. Oh my gosh. I know. Now I'm excited that, that Disney is in talks to produce a live theatrical presentation of Hercules. Mm, yeah, that's down the pike. I, I, I heard, I've heard more and more chatter on the East Coast about that. Um and it's just one of those, like, if they can just get there. I mean, it's like you, you keep hearing it's in the works. You keep hearing it. And then you're just like, yeah. when's it going to happen? And I know it's just going to come out of the, you know, the, you know, woodwork one day. Like, surprise, here's a Hercules musical. It's coming next year. <laughs> um, I mean, I yeah, think we're, we're, we're going to get Hunchback first, but then, you know, Hercules. So, yeah, I, I do wonder if with Hercules, you know, when they did, um, Aladdin first, it wasn't to get it to Broadway. It was to release the rights for Aladdin Jr. Uh, mm. and make a lot of money that way. Because as soon as it was done in, I think, Seattle at Fifth Avenue Theater, the rights came out immediately for it. And it wasn't for another few years that it came to Broadway. And I I don't think that if you brought Hercules to Broadway right now, it would do particularly well because you have so many kid-friendly shows. Right, right. You know, with having Anastasia and Frozen there, Frozen and Aladdin and Lion King, I feel like it would suffer too much saturation. Oh, definitely, definitely. And it's funny because like two years ago, we were like begging for for kid friendly shows. Oh, I know. <laughs> We've got too many. So, I know. I, like, like, and I think that th- that's part of the reason that um, what's it called? Uh, SpongeBob. Like, mm. it was never going to do well, but I think it it suffered the fate of having three four kid Disney properties surrounding it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, um, you know, now you've got, I mean, I don't know if it's a kid friendly show yet, but Beetlejuice is on its way. 
Um, yeah. So it's going to be interesting for, for the kid audiences. Broadway's going to be an interesting place uh, for the next couple of years. You know, the funny thing about Hercules for me was this was actually the first movie I saw by myself in the theater. What? I know. So I was um, a sophomore, I think, or sophomore or freshman in high school when this came okay. out. And um, I had seen a commercial on the Disney Channel, which was um, Go the Distance. You yeah. actually got to see that, you know, because this is what the Disney Channel would do. They would release that kind of music video-ish type of thing of the song. And I, immediately I was like, I really like that song. Um, <laughs> I need to go see this movie. And none of my friends, because, you know, they're freshmen and sophomores in high school at the time, yeah. were like, they didn't want to go see a Disney movie with me. I'm sure. just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go by myself. And so it was a very weird experience. I mean, I, I, you know, for anybody who goes and sees a movie in the theater by themselves for the first time, it's a very weird experience because usually you yeah. do that with a friend. But, um, and I'm sitting there with a bunch of kids too, which made it even weirder. But um, <laughs> I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it. I was floored by it. I actually found myself liking other songs way more than go the distance. And I was not expecting a score like that um, yeah. at all. And, um, and also the humor of it. I found myself laughing out loud much more than I thought I would. Um, oh yeah. And this really, I, before I, 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 I hadn't really laughed like that in any Disney movie up to this point too. So I was just like, Oh, this is kind of a new, type of humor for me and um also had an immediate crush on meg i mean that was just you know me i was just like <laughs> like that's that's my girl there it is <laughs> so it, it it was definitely definitely an incredible film and watching it uh re-watching it the other night i mean first of all waves of nostalgia number one yeah. to the point of saying also looking at it from a broadway standpoint of trying to see could this actually work as a live show and and, and i think some of it definitely can other things i don't think will but you know that's yeah. for other people to decide um but yeah still had a great time for this with this movie so yeah no I, I absolutely loved it and what's interesting too is this is one of those few animated movies that i feel really nailed the voice casting you know oh it, i think so i can't say yeah. enough about the voice casting um i don't know how much i want to say um until we get to um like specifically that section of the podcast is uh can we talk about it now Let's talk about it now. Come okay, on. Yeah. Um, oh my God. Um, so let's start. Um, you know, ob obviously uh, Susan Egan's great, but so many character actors that I love were in this movie. Mm. Like, let's just start with the fact that James Woods is so good in this movie. Oh my God. Um, Next like, level. He he is he is uh, he's a game show host as Hades, and I love it. Mm -hmm. I just Love it. Um, I I know that when I host game shows, I model it on James Woods as Hades. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, Amazing. He, he does so good in this film. And then you go, oh, he's really great. Bam, Danny DeVito. What? You shouldn't be in a musical, yet here you are. I love doing that. It. <laughs> and then I, um, I'm, I'm listening to the opening scenes, and I'm like, Zeus, is that Rip Torn? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Like I'm used to Rip Torn. Like he only does kind of adult films um, like the Larry Sanders show. And then I think he was in um, Men in Black. I'm yep. like, oh, what a great choice. And then wait a minute. Um, is that Bobcat Goldthwait? <laughs> what? And then wait a minute. Is that, I'm not sure, is that Paul Schaefer from the David Letterman show yep, as yep. Hermes? <laughs> and then I was like, 
whoever the casting director was really had a vision for how fun this movie had to be. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And yep. they said, let's get people who are just associated with having a whole lot of fun to do this show. And they just knocked it out of the park. Well, that was like, you know, you, you just nailed it. I mean, Bobcat Goldthwait and then Matt Fewer playing uh, Panic, yeah. um, who I only knew from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, he plays the dad, not Rick Moranis, but the other dad of the kids. Yeah. And um, I never really heard him do a character voice before. And, you know, he knocked it out of the park. And then, I mean, when you talk about the singing in this movie, I mean, you you, you said it yourself. I mean, Susan Egan is out of her mind in this movie. Yeah. Like, just, just nails that character. And then, of course, the muses, uh, played by Tony winner Lilius White, who, like... Anytime she sings anything, I'm I'm dead. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> um, Lashans is the other one, uh, which is crazy to think about. Lashans is in this movie, and then Roz Ryan. So you've got three just vocal powerhouses playing the muses, and I mean, it's just hearing a gospel score in a Disney film was just next level for me. So uh-huh. unbelievable. Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, it's funny to me too because Lashans has been. 32 for the last 25 years. I don't know how she does it. Don't know how she does it. It's incredible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Did you get to see turn uh, summer Donna summer musical? No. Oh, it was, it, it was good. I won't lie. It was good. I, I mean, it was one of those shows where I walked in with very low expectations uh, and yet walked out saying, you know what? That was not bad. So, uh, and it's really, the main reason is because of her. I mean, she's just and her and Ariana Du Bois were just absolutely incredible. But in that, but, um, yeah, and then like other people, there's like, it felt like in this movie with the voice acting cast, it felt like favors were owed, and they just you got this incredible cast. Like even in the like background, I mean, Hal Holbrook is showing up in this movie. Um, you know what uh, was? Did he play Hercules' Earth Dad? Yes, uh, that's Hal Holbrook. I yep. heard him, and I was like, "There's no effing way Hal Holbrook is in this." And then, and then you just mentioning that, I was like, "Oh my god!" And then. Am I mistaken, or is Wayne Knight from Seinfeld in it, too? Yep, he's got a small cameo. <laughs> um, Carol Shelley is in this, playing one of the uh, witches. Um, Amanda Plummer's the, one of the other witches. I mean, I mean, you got Charlton Heston as a narrator in the beginning of this movie. I'm just like, where did these people come from? Like, how did they get into this yes, movie? This is, can, can you think of, because I can't, a more celebrity dense Disney film like Mulan Ooh. has a lot, mm-hmm. but it's not nearly as dense as this. You know what no, I mean? No. I mean, I think, I think the closest to it around that time was probably Lion King, but yeah, this is, this is much more, there's just a, I think it's first of all, cause there's a wealth of characters here, but like, yes. yeah, no. And I think you, you definitely need a, a type of voice for this type of movie. Um, as opposed to Lion King where you can be a little bit more cartoony. Um, yeah. This was a much more because you've got human characters. So yeah, I mean, that's a great point. I, I don't I don't think you really see that in animated movies nowadays. And what's funny is that of all these people in this in this movie at the time, I was like, who's Tate Donovan? Like, <laughs> like who's the guy who is this guy playing Hercules? I've never even heard of him. I had no idea. I hadn't seen Love Potion number nine yet and things like yeah. that. So um that was that was a complete like, oh my gosh, Tate Donovan. Okay, so there you go. So yeah, no, really, really strong cast firing all cylinders. Um, all right, so Drew, moving on, let me ask you this. We all yeah. know that when you're watching these movies, especially Disney movies, 
there are moments in these films that just give you chills, goosebumps, all that stuff. And sometimes on the flip side, there's also some cringeworthy moments as well. For you, watching this, now that it's fresh, did any moment in this film give you the, just the chills, goosebumps, the whole nine yards? Um, okay, so it's not like a real emotional peak, I guess, mm-hmm. but um, I, won't say, I won't say I'm in love is just a perfect song and a perfect performance. Mm. Um, and I, I watched it and I was just so struck by how good it was. And I was like, that, 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 that is too good. And it's in, um, it's, it's kind of a muted part of the movie, right? Like yeah. everything kind of tones down. It's not the 11 o'clock number. It's more of like a nine thirty number, but it's so perfect that I was like, you, you nailed it. Like that is a perfect song. Um, coupling, her internal feelings um, with the muses' uh, feelings about it as well. It's like if if Audrey from Little Shop was a more confident character, um, that would have been her song. Mm. Yes, yes, definitely. You know what I mean? Definitely. What are, what, what are your what are your chill moments in here? You know that was one of them. I mean, and and kudos to Disney for casting Susan Egan. I think there is a with these types of movies, there's probably a desire to get a name there, a bigger yeah. name, but I mean, she killed it as Belle and Beauty and the Beast on Broadway. So, you know, why not put her in this movie? Um, yeah. For me, I, I think the first time you hear go the distance um, with young Hercules singing it, yeah. that, that gives you, especially when that piano kicks in, you're just like, yeah. Oh, and the fact that there's Roger Bart singing it. Yeah. And, and I love me some Roger Bart. Um, so that, that's definitely a, a, a big moment for me. I think when you get towards the end um, and there's that whole redemption, sacrificing himself and yeah. you know things like that, that, that really got to me as well, surprisingly, this time around watching it. And then also for me, you know, just being a father now, I, that his, all of his interactions with Zeus um, yeah. in, the, in the temple there, that actually got to me today. I was like, oh my God, like that's, this, is, this is affecting me. And obviously it, it wasn't like that you know, when I was a kid watching this, uh, but now looking at it as a father, it's just, it completely takes a, a whole new element uh, for me. Um, I didn't really have any cringe moments either. Did you have any cringe moments in this? No, no, I, I really, the, the only time that I, that I cringe in a movie like this is when they, is when they introduce characters by name very deliberately Um for marketing purposes. Oh, um, okay. So like um, when they say um, uh, pain and panic reporting for duty, um, I'm like, oh, that's to put the names on the on the action figures, on the <laughs> on the Happy Meal toy, right. that kind of stuff. Because um, like I noticed that uh, one thing that, that I love about Marvel now is that we have gotten – used to a new fantasy storytelling where we don't say, hi, I'm Wonder Woman. You know, we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we look back and I see that and I go, that's pain, that's panic. Oh, Megara. <laughs> you know what I mean? When, <laughs> when, Hades, when Hades goes, that's Megara. I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> mm, I didn't but, even think I mean, of that. You're, you're 100% But if right. that's my biggest complaint, I'm very happy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't really have any cringe moments. And I that's something I I... I it's funny, like 
I'm glad that that's the way your mind works to notice those types of things. Cause I definitely did not catch that. And that's a really, really good take uh, on that part as well. So um, awesome. Awesome. So moving on folks, we know that with these movies, Sometimes not every single question is answered and some mysteries are left unsolved. And I like to call those some lingering questions. So let me ask you, Drew, did you have any lingering questions about Hercules? I thought I was going to, and I was really mad when they couldn't cut the string that killed him. And then they, then they revealed that his act of heroism made him a God. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm resolved. That, that feels fine to me. <laughs> That feels um, right. <laughs> yeah, they they answered the question. Uh, I am a little, I was a little like eh, the 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 fates stuck to their guns until he complimented them, and then they gave you know him all the details of like the end of the world, and I was like, ah, oh, you could have been a little either held back more or just flesh that moment out more because they were like, we can't tell the future. Nah, never mind, we can. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so no, I I really wasn't unsatisfied. Oh, I know what it was. I know exactly what it was. No, um, did did Phil make Achilles? Because that's that's what bugged me is like Phil shouldn't be upset about his heel. Like that was Achilles's fault, not Phil's fault. Right. And they made it they they made it seem like Phil tinkered with every bone and muscle in his body, except he forgot the heel. Um, and I wish that would have been clearer, like, are we pretending like Phil made Achilles? And that wasn't clear. Yes, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, yeah, no, the way that they the, the way that that scene kind of fleshed out, I was just like, oh, okay, was that really your fault? <laughs> and anyway, right. so that, that's a great point. Um, for me, the only lingering question that I had about this movie was, what actually happens to Hades in the end of this movie? Like he's the, oh, I guess he's the yeah. God of death or the underworld. And so is he technically already dead? So when he is floating in the pool downwards, are we to assume that he's drowning or like just falling <laughs> or this is his new home? I mean, it was, it was very unclear um, what his fate actually is. Um, at the end of this movie because of who he is and and where they are and all that that interesting stuff so that that was the one like question i had afterwards i was just like wait I, that i don't understand um yeah i get that uh it it seemed to me like that that one room in beetlejuice the well of souls where like the dead <laughs> people go to be super dead yeah um but then i had like now as an adult i'm going well from a pragmatic point now who's head of hr for hell like right. who who runs the underworld? There is a leadership gap here. <laughs> it's like anarchy amok right. in the underworld. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. So those are the only, that was the only real lingering question that I, that I had. And because, you know, with Disney, they usually do a very good job of kind of having a finality to these yes. villains and you know exactly, you know, what happened. There's very little mystery there. So that, that was the one that kind of stuck out to me. So um, folks, we know that when they're putting these movies together, there's a lot of people that get considered for these roles. Sometimes people audition, sometimes roles are offered and then they're taken back. So sometimes the cast that we get is not necessarily the cast that was intended. So for this, I like to call this section, I call would this movie had been better with a second or alternative choice to who we ended up getting. So Drew, I've got two roles for you here. Okay. Okay. So for the role of Hades, one actor that was heavily considered and actually offered the role 
was David Bowie. So You're let me ask kidding. you, sir, would this movie have been better with David Bowie as playing the role of Hades? Uh, no, definitely not. Mm. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think that, I think that his his energy wouldn't have been what the what the show needed. Like mm-hmm. David Bowie would have been great for Uncle Scar, but um, <laughs> yeah. not. <laughs> and you know, for Ka the Snake or Shere Khan the Tiger. Um, but Hades isn't put together nearly as well as David Bowie is. And the mm. David Bowie brand is someone who knows, like, uh, who's who's ten steps ahead of you. And Hades isn't. Hades is, is flying by the seat of his pants. He's not a super villain. He's just a he's just a um, a villain. <laughs> he's, he's not super. <laughs> that is true. That's true. Yeah, it would have been think? a much different. I, I think it would have been a much different character. Yeah. Um, I think the way that they even animate Hades is obviously based on James Woods, and yeah. so. I think with David Bowie there, it just becomes a completely different character from a design standpoint and, and definitely would not be, um, you know, nearly as memorable um, as, as it is with no, James Woods in that role. And even though well, I, 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 so here's the next one. Here it is. So for the role of Zeus, one of the actors that was heavily considered for this was Patrick Stewart. Oh. So let me ask you this. Would this movie have been better with Patrick Stewart? in the role oh that is really interesting um i i I think it would have been just as good it would have been a different dad Mm -hmm. um a more regal dad and a less middle mid-america zeus (laughs) right Uh, um yeah i think it would have been just as good to have some of that uh royal feel behind him um because zeus to me feels like um, feels like your uncle. You know what I mean? He feels mm-hmm. like a guy that you can kick back with. I would have been very happy with Patrick Stewart. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I got one more for you. Here it is. Yeah. So one person that did audition for the role of Hercules, the speaking voice of Hercules, was Donny Osmond. Donny, o- Donny Osmond played Shang, right? Yes. Well, he did the vo- the singing voice of Shang uh, in Mulan. Oh. B.D. Wong did the speaking voice of that. Uh, which is ironic because B.D. Wong can actually sing. So again, I don't understand right. why they got Donny Osmond for that. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I think that was part of the deal. Like, hey, you're not right for Hercules, but we're doing this new movie called Milan. So let's just do that instead. But let me ask you, do you think this movie would have been better with Donny Osmond as the voice of Hercules instead of Tate Donovan? Here's the deal. If you put Tate Donovan or Donny Osmond into a room and you had them speak their voices, I would say, I just heard the same guy say hello twice. <laughs> like I would say, oh, that sounds like a nice white guy. Would not have been able to tell. Nope, nope. <laughs> so easily, I think that's easily switchable, and and we it yeah. probably was the same movie. There you go, <laughs> <laughs> folks. Exactly. We know that with movie musicals, four areas have to be firing on all cylinders for it to truly be a magnificent piece, and that of course is the singing, the dancing, the acting, and design. Um, so what we like to do on this podcast is go through each category and rank them one through ten. How do we feel? You know, the da- the dancing and the singing, you know, stacked up one through ten. Ten, of course, being the best, one being the worst. So Drew, let me start with you for singing overall singing in this movie how did you rate this film one through ten overall singing um i give it a 7.4 nice 
nice. I like that. By the way, you're the first person to do a point something um, rating. So good for you. Um, why, why a 7.4? Um, well, everyone's great. Um, except for Danny DeVito, who I love, mm-hmm. but, um, did you know the story behind DeVito doing this movie? No. So, uh, Michael Kosserin is Alan Menken's musical director. And he did a cruise on Disney Cruise Line with us where he talked us a lot of the business. And they were making Hercules. Alan wrote this song for DeVito. Um, and he gives it to him like a month in advance before they come in to work on it. Um, Mencken comes to his house, to DeVito's house, to record it, shows up and goes, hey, are you ready? And DeVito goes, uh, I haven't looked at it yet. Oh my and, gosh. And I definitely got the feeling that when they were recording, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, you made so many acting choices in so many other parts of the movie except for the song. Um, so <laughs> I only I only give a I only give, you know, so if everyone else gets a nine and a half, he gets a he gets a six, and that's how we get to that seven and a half. So, hey, you're doing correct math there. I I, I think you're spot on. Um, <laughs> I was right there with you. Actually, I gave it an eight, so I kind of rounded up oh, right. um, from you. But for the same reasons, though, exactly the same reason. Like everybody else is doing fantastic. Danny DeVito does bring that that total average down for the class. Unfortunately, <laughs> so, um, it's a shame yeah. too because those muses are friggin' oh my god singing for their lives. That I mean. I will say this, ironically enough, Alan Menken does a great job when it comes to, to composing for triple um, yeah. <laughs> African-American women. I mean, he just does a great job with this kind of stuff. So yeah. um, amazing, amazing. All right. So for dancing, I, this is a little weird because, I mean, there's not a lot of choreography in this movie. Um, and I think anytime that you do see choreography in an animated film, first of all, hey, good for you guys for you know trying to do that. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually, I didn't even give it a score. I put non-applicable, but did you give it anything for dancing for this? Uh, I mean, the muses' hips were working for their lives. That's so true. I gave it a, a, an eleven out of ten. <laughs> excellent. I excellent, haven't seen excellent. hip. I haven't seen hipography like that in a long time. I mean, they and they. It's amazing. I mean, this is what animated characters can do. They can just bend places that you know, the human body <laughs> just cannot. Um, yeah, no, especially in the beginning uh, when they're doing this little hip thing on the beats. Um, at the start of the movie, I'm just like, yes, okay. Like, yeah. We're in for it. This is good. Um, so, yeah, I was, I, I'm wrong. I'm in the wrong. I should not have done a non-applicable. But you, sir, you, yeah, I, I 100% <laughs> agree with your score on that one. How about the acting in this movie? Uh, I felt that everything, everyone was giving a really committed performance. Um, even DeVito in the, in the scenes. Um, everyone really, everyone was on the same page. Um, and the 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 creative team, the directors, and the animators worked with the actors so well um, that they were able to capture the essence of each actor's performance. I'm thinking especially of James Woods um, mm-hmm. and and how how clear his performance was. So I'd give the acting a, a solid nine. Nice, me too. I I was right there with you. I gave it an eight because um, yeah, everybody's kind of firing on all cylinders. I mean, you're just getting some great voice acting work um especially in the, in the more powerful dramatic moments too i mean it's really really believable 
uh, on that end. Um, finally, design. I mean, this was actually what I like about Hercules is it has a very distinctive look. Um, yes. It does not look like your typical Disney film, which is great. It actually reminded me of a um, like those animated shorts that Disney used to do back in like the 60s where it was like educational stuff. And they would talk yes. about the Roman Empire. I think that was kind of a throwback to those shorts. Um, but overall design, I liked it. What did you how did you feel about the, the look of this film? It's it is its own unique look, unlike any other Disney movie. Like mm. you can point to a lot of, you know, animated films and say, oh, same animation team, same models, et cetera, et cetera. Hercules is its own anomaly. And for that, it gets a really high uh, score for production. Like the lines are are like the star of the show for the characters. Mm. Like Megara's hair has its own unique design that's so angular and precise. Um, those same lines follow down like the waistlines of the dresses, uh, the legs of Hercules. Um, even the color, like that color that appears on Hercules when he emerges from the pool of the dead is like, that's the signature color of the movie, that kind of um, glowing gold look. Um, mm. So it, it gets a gets a nine and a half from me on production. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I gave it a nine too. I mean, just because it is so... Yeah. singular and so specific and 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 100 right um and just gorgeous i mean even the landscapes in this in this film just look gorgeous um you know the way that mount olympus looks and all that stuff and the yeah. costuming I, I can you know it's it's incredible so right there with you um awesome so folks we know that sometimes you know with these with these movie musicals not every single song makes the final cut and sometimes we get too many songs and whatnot so we do a section here called numbers that we needed numbers that we could do without um and of course if we've got five minutes to watch this film what are we going to fast forward to the numbers that we needed probably not applicable here because it's not based on a um uh, yeah. a stage musical and, and and in all my research i didn't find any songs that were actually you know cut from this film so to speak but any numbers that you could do without True. Let's start with you. Any numbers that you're just like, nah, probably didn't need that song there. Um, I, if I had to cut one, I would cut uh, "One Last Hope," uh, Phil's song. Um, mm. But uh, I like that it introduces his his character and it and it builds the montage. Uh, there's nothing really that I would cut uh, song wise. Now, me neither. And actually, the only song that I would cut or at least alter is is Michael Bolton doing the. Um, the remix, so to speak, of Go the Distance during the end credits. Yeah. I, 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 Michael Bolton's voice just doesn't work for me. It never has, but neither to the point. But um, yeah, that, that was the only number I said, okay, I could probably do without Michael Bolton. But yeah, you're right. I, I, every other song in this serves a nice purpose, um, yeah. really moves the story along. So yeah, I could. I, I don't want to lose any of them. How about numbers that you're going to fast forward to if you've got like three to five minutes to watch this thing? Man, uh, uh I know that I said, I won't say I'm in love is a perfect song. It's true. But man, Zero to Hero just mm. gets you in the mood for this movie. Right. Right. Uh, so, yeah. If I say you got five minutes, go put the Glad and Gladiator. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I, I actually put wrote down the exact same thing because it's, really? just a, it's a phenomenal <laughs> song. I mean, it really is. And it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, this is, this is a, a definitive Disney song. I mean, this is what you, you know, if you're making that greatest hits album, you're putting this in there and it's a show stopping number, so to speak. So, um, yeah, I'm right there with you. Isn't it remarkable? The, the 
prolific amount of songs that Alan Menken has written and the pantheon of different genres he writes in that all feel like they're in his wheelhouse. Yeah. 100% like, right. You have a songwriter who can write not fake gospel, real gospel, real rock and roll, a Broadway love song, Wagnerian underscore. He can do anything and he mm -hmm. does it all so well. 100% correct. I mean, and what's also, I think, equally tragic is that a lot of his newer stuff it just doesn't it pales in comparison and it's almost you know with with alan Menken, i've always kind of said that like he it feels like you're watching a professional athlete where he yeah. just doesn't have the the gift anymore you know his the 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 ability is gone because like i i lost i listened to gallivant when that came out that show came out um sister act and just everything that he's done since this renaissance of disney and it's just like melodically it's just like where where did it go what happened like nothing has grabbed me as much as this tough you know grabbed me back then and you know maybe it was you know howard ashman's presence maybe it was stephen schwartz maybe it was yeah. you know his collaborators that he was working with i mean david zippel did hercules he's the same guy yeah. the city of angels and all that stuff so maybe it's just his collaborators but yeah i mean there's just there's something missing from Mencken right now that i'm just like yeah and even i think a good point with this was newsies when that show came out you know, the, the, there was a distinct difference between the original music and the new stuff that he wrote for it. And you're just like, nah, okay. Like it just, you had nothing. It's, it's weird. It's weird. Do you, do you notice that with Mankin these days? You know what? I, I hate to say it because he is not only one of my favorite composers, he's one of my favorite people on Broadway because he just seems to be like the nicest guy around. Yeah. Um, but, um, I listened to leap of faith and I was like, Oh, this is not good at all. And I, mm. I really wanted a lot from it. Um, and then I was surprised to know that it was Alan Menken. Um, and I was like, there's 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 not a song in here that I find interesting. Um, and yes, uh, Sister Act is sort of in the same category, though I think the story is is a little more interesting. Um, I am just not a, a big fan of of Glenn Slater either, um, mm. and and not to say he's he's not doing great work and he's very nice and very uh, he writes very well, but he's just not my cup of tea. Right, right, and I I think that's a a huge reason why you're seeing um, a lot of, of of that downturn. I mean, even the new stuff they did for Little Mermaid was I was just like, nah, like it's it wasn't it just pales in comparison and. Yeah, I think it's oh, collaborators, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. Glenn Slater did Mermaid, I forgot. Um, there are some weird... And, well, I'll, I will say, I don't, I'm don't. i not sure that the new songs for Mermaid weren't like a super rush job. Um, mm. Because I know that they were really rushing to get that to Broadway to, to open at a certain time. And a lot of the added songs are part of that weird added storyline where they're trying to make King Triton's story really important. Um, and there are all those little scenelets about King Triton and the, and the, the producers are obviously trying to go, he's really important, he's really important, here's some more songs he sings. But they all add up to this janky extra half hour that we don't need. Yeah, no, that show was a mess. I mean, I think, they, didn't they initially bring in Matthew Bourne to direct it? And then it, something didn't work, so they brought in this other woman who her background was opera and so like 
just yeah, nothing, nothing worked with Little Mermaid. So that's another podcast, though. I could do an entire podcast <laughs> on yeah, right, the failed Disney Broadway musicals and things like that. <laughs> um, folks, we know that sometimes with these movies, especially when when they were made, when they were based, some things are timeless. Some things are also a little bit dated. So true. Let me ask you: Did you find anything timeless in this film? Uh, yeah, I think I think the most. I think the songs that stick with us go the distance and I won't say I'm in love. You you could listen to those a hundred years ago or a hundred years from now and they'll carry the same uh, story of humanity. So those are timeless. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, I think, yeah, some of the references, I think just like the, the, the overall theme of trying to, you know, find redemption and, and, and become this, this yeah. person that, you know, there's a lot of ways you can be a hero so to speak. Yeah. Um, I think that message goes a long, a long way. It doesn't have to be these grandeur, you know, gestures and things like that um, as well. Also I, props to this movie. I think this is timeless. I think this counts as timeless um, for having a different type of female lead character. I mean, yeah. before this, I really didn't see any type of character remotely coming close to what Meg is. And um, she kind of remains this kind of like really nice break in, in what, I think was a Disney mold at that time for these, these types of characters. what do you think about Meg as, as a timeless character there? Oh, I, I a hundred percent agree. Like she's, she's one of my favorite characters because she's uh, you know, she, she fits the princess, like, you know, insert female character in Disney film here. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she says it herself when she says something, when she's in the hands of that first, first thing trying to kill Hercules where she's like, I'm not helpless. I'm in control here. Um, and I like that she she has the same she has the same struggles that Hercules has, which is like, where do I land? Where do I belong? I'm a strong character uh, in some regards, and in some regards, I am not. And I like that she had so much um, so much nuance to her. Yeah, definitely, definitely. How about on the flip side? Anything dated that you found in this movie? I was thinking that. Um, going into it that James Woods would have some of the same topical stuff that um, Robin Williams had at the Genie because it's the same directing team. Mm-hmm. And um, I I was watching it and I was like, this doesn't feel dated at all. Like I, I have met Hollywood agents who speak the exact same way right now. <laughs> what oh about you? Um, yeah. I mean, I think so maybe some of the, other than some of the pop culture references that I think that were very much of that, yeah. Um, that, you know, mid, mid to late nineties era. Um, yeah. Didn't find a lot of things that I felt were dated. I mean, I think you could take this movie and release it in 2019 and you'd still probably get a lot of the same, you know, yeah. jokes and things like, I don't think a lot of it's like, you know, it's not like the Austin powers films, which are definitely a product of the time that they came out in terms of their humor <laughs> to right. the point where they're unwatchable now. Um, but yeah, no, I think this is one of those films that just, it, it just nails so many good, yeah. timeless themes that you could just watch at any time you want. So there you go. 100%. All right, folks with this podcast, we'd like to give out some awards. And of course, uh, these are very prestigious esteemed awards, but we have one called the Barbara award, which is of course named after Barbara Streisand, who we feel is the best singer in this movie. On the flip side, we also have the Russell Crowe award named after Russell Crowe's infamous performance in Les Miserables, which we will get to on this podcast at some point. Um, and, uh, finally 
we have the Bumlet Award. And this was named after the character of Bumlet from Newsies, played by Dominic Lucero. And if you haven't seen Newsies, watch the King of New York number because he's the guy spinning on the fan. At the end of that, he's doing this perfect pirouette into a landing, uh, and you just can't take your eyes off of him for the rest of the film. So I wanted to name an award for him for basically an ensemble, background, secondary character that just kind of chews the scenery in this film. So, Drew, I'm going to start with you. Who gets your Barber Award for Hercules? The Muses, hands down. No question. Mm. Next question. <laughs> what about 100%. you? Um, I, I agreed. I, I said all three muses. <laughs> yeah. Second, close second was Susan Egan, but yeah, no, all 100%. three muses are going to get yeah. that. Russell Crowe word. Uh, Danny DeVito. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that it, there really isn't another choice there. Uh, really <laughs> isn't another one. Yeah, that that was. Yeesh. Uh, all right, finally, your Bumblet Award. Who gets your Bumblet Award? Uh, I want to know yours first. Okay, so I this was a tough one for me because there was a bunch of. Yeah. but i actually ended up going with uh wayne knight's cameo and that guy <laughs> who's got all those vases and he just loses his shit at the end of <laughs> that scene um that to me was awesome because it's a it's wayne knight and i just i love wayne knight and um yeah. and yeah no it just that was just a really really funny part of that movie that that one really stuck with me how about you so Wayne Knight was my close second, but Paul Schaefer was my first. Um, oh, yeah. I have such a soft spot for, for Paul Schaefer and Dave Letterman. And the fact that he was animated to look like if Paul Schaefer was <laughs> was a god, I was like, that is hysterical. Perfect casting. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny. I, at first, um, I didn't know if that was Paul Schaefer or if it was just someone parodying him. Um, right. But the fact that I got it right away, you're absolutely right. He's he is phenomenal. <laughs> he's just off. He's dialed it up to eleven in this movie. So <laughs> there you go. Um, final question for you, sir. Because Disney's doing this now. Should this get a live action remake? More. Ooh, oh, a live action remake, like a movie. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, no, no, it shouldn't. It belongs on stage. I don't want to see a live action remake of this. No. So no Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin type of live action special effects CGI remake that they're doing nowadays. You want to just keep this, if anything, on the stage. Yeah, I haven't been been a big fan of the live action stuff so far, except for the Jungle Book, which was, I think, the first one they did, mm -hmm. except for maybe Cinderella was around the same time. Um, no, that's, that's really the only one that I've liked. And God, to live up to such a beloved movie like Hercules, you would have to do so much CGI yeah. that it, 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 it would hardly be a live action remake. Uh, and it would be like a CGI film filmed uh, in real places. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so well, I don't think it'd be worth it. I, it's, I, and I hate to break this to you, sir, but they're going to do it actually. Um, oh really? This, yeah. This is actually in the works. Um, because Disney has their new Disney Plus streaming service, they are now greenlighting a lot of live action remakes. And I've heard that this one, uh, they're not sure if it's going to be on the streaming network or released in theaters, but it's going to happen. And um, what was funny, and I think you'll appreciate this, I was walking um, around Savannah a couple months ago, and I just happened to accidentally walk onto a set, not knowing that they were filming around right on the corner from my office. And they're actually filming a live action remake of Lady and the Tramp right now. So, oh, you know what though? My heart melts with that. I would, I am a hundred percent. I will fund that film. I will <laughs> contribute to a GoFundMe for that right now. 
I love it. I love it. So yeah, it is on its way. So who knows if it's going to be in the theaters or just on TV, but we are going to get a live action remake of Hercules, whether we want it or not, it's coming. True. <laughs> um, this was a pleasure, man. I'm, I'm so happy that you, you're on this podcast with me. I am flattered that you asked me. I am such a big follower of everything that you post on Facebook and all the blogs that you create. You've, you, you are an endless source of information and entertainment for me. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And, and this will be the first of many podcasts that I'm hoping that we are going to do here. And, and obviously if you have a film or a movie musical that you absolutely adore and love, let's do it. Let's do another podcast and we'll, we'll get that going as soon as possible. Um, Drew, where can people find you on social media? I know that you've got an incredible uh, business that I definitely want you to talk about um, as right. well because I think it's an amazing service. So let's let's go with that. What are you up to? Uh, about five four. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> um, uh, no, if you uh, want to find me on the socials, uh, uh, I am on the Instagram. I'm uh, just Drew Boudreau. That's all the vowels that you can imagine. D R E W B O U D R E A U. Uh, on the Instagrams, uh, and I'm on the Facebooks, um, and uh, I have a I have a real Twitter, which I is is uh, Juba Joe, which sounds like Drew Boudreau. <laughs> I made it when I was in high school when uh, Drew Boudreau with a mouthful of pizza sounds like Juba Joe. So th that's how my <laughs> Twitter account comes from. But I run a parody Twitter account uh, that I'm on a lot more called uh, If Trump Was Human. <laughs> and I, I go through his tweets and I retweet them and then I translate them as if they came from like a rational, thoughtful, compassionate human. That's incredible. I'm going to follow that tonight. I'm going to make sure I go home and, and, and follow that immediately. Amazing. And can you tell us a little bit about College Audition Pro as well? Yeah. So uh, College Audition Pros is um, a complete holistic guidance uh, for those uh, theater students who want to take their passion with them into college, and they're very serious about um, majoring in acting or musical theater. Um, and so we help from beginning to end. That starts with finding schools that are right for you, because there are some kids who have only heard of Tisch and Michigan and Carnegie Mellon, and they think that no other theater schools exist. And we have to do a good job of finding not just good theater schools, but good theater schools that are right for uh, those students that we think will make them happy over those four years. And sometimes it is Carnegie, sometimes it is Tisch, but sometimes uh, it's, you know, uh, Texas State, sometimes it's Coastal Carolina, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we uh, help you get all your audition requirements in a row so that your parents aren't going through every email they've ever gotten from every school. Uh, <laughs> and your parents don't know what a 32 bar with a four bar intro means. So we take care of that for you. Um, we get your monologues uh, selected, your song selected. We give you a complete uh, audition portfolio and rep. We put you through mock auditions. We work uh, uh, in person and on Skype. We have clients around the country. And then we travel with you to the auditions as well uh, to get you prepped for audition game day. That's an amazing service, honestly. And, and, and folks, I have to be honest in my line of work and, and working with schools and, and things like that, I've seen a lot of, of coaching businesses out there. I'm going to be a hundred percent honest. I have never seen one quite um, as thorough and as professional and as prepared as college audition pro. And, and, and by the way, Drew is not paying me to say that um, I'm being a hundred percent honest. I mean, it is a rare service 
uh, and a rare business out there. So I definitely encourage all of you, for those of you who are going to pursue these very selective degrees, um, definitely get in touch with Drew because they know their stuff and they're doing it. They're doing it the right way. There are a lot of companies that are doing it the wrong way. We've published a couple of their names on our site recently, um, but uh, Drew and, and everybody at College Audition Pros are, are doing it the 100% the right way. So congratulations, man, on all your success. And and I really cannot wait to see you in Chicago next week so we can celebrate this frozen you know, tundra together. Uh, yeah, I will not be exposing my face, Chris. So if you see like a five foot three bundle of rags, that's me. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Folks, as of always, you can find these podcasts and more on the odd stage blog network on our website, onstageblog.com, or of course at Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you might listen to these podcasts. Uh, we are on there, but thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with mama Mia. We're breaking that seal. Yeah, Mama Mia is next week. So whether I want to or not, it's coming. So um, amazing. Drew, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Take care. All right. We'll talk to you folks next week.